Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Doing well? You're looking good. You're looking good. Um, we're in this series about a story about a guy who lived about 3,100 years ago. His name is Samuel, and um, some people tell you that his nickname uh, is Kingmaker because God chose him to anoint the first two kings of Israel. Uh, scholars will tell you that he's also known as the last judge and the first prophet in the nation of Israel. But what I really love about Samuel for our purposes in this series is that not many people know that much about Samuel, which means he has a lot in common with you and me because not that many people know that much about me and you either. There's lots that Samuel uh, has in common with, uh, with you. Um, Samuel, even though not many people know that much about him, he was an extraordinary person, extraordinary, just like you. You know, we've been talking about it all series long about how uh, God is writing this story called Redemption on the pages of history. And the way that he writes it is he writes a story called Redemption on the pages of your life and then he uses your life to tell his story. So you and Samuel got that in common. So God had a plan for Samuel. God has a plan for you. God had a purpose for Samuel. God has a purpose for you. And at the risk of being incredibly obvious, Samuel had parents, and so do you. And the reason I bring that up is because for the first two weeks of this series, we've been talking just about Samuel's parents. We haven't even got to Samuel yet, and that's because I really wanted to lay a foundation. And so we found out that Samuel's dad's name was Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives, polygamy, sweet, awesome that that came up in, uh, in, in our series. But just a reminder again that the principles in the Bible don't always match up with the people in the Bible. Let me put that another way. The people in the Bible don't always live up to the principles of God. And so you see it in this story. It, it, it's leading to heartbreak and, and dysfunction. Because El- Elkanah has two wives. One, one of his wives, her name is Penina. It sounds like Panini, and she deserved it. You know, she deserved that dumb name. Um, she had a bunch of kids, which in that culture was a big deal, and, and uh, she was real proud of it. She was a jerk, a mean girl, a bully, and so she would always kind of lord it over uh, the, the Elkanah's other wife, Hannah, uh, because Hannah had no kids. And so we come to the point of the story where the whole family goes to Shiloh, which was the religious capital of Israel at this time, and, and they go there for kind of a spiritual retreat. And we see a, a scene where Hannah is praying that God would please give her a child. Spoiler alert, Hannah ends up being Samuel's mom. So, okay. Um, but, 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 but at this point, she hasn't, re- she hasn't read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 yet. She doesn't know that, so she's praying that God would give her a child. It goes like this. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought, She was drunk, and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. (laughs) I I don't know what that is. Put away. Okay, Okay, you don't think it's funny, so let's just move on. (laughs) Put away your wine. Okay, so, so not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer, for that matter. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. 
do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. <sighs> kind of istra- interesting, don't you think, that as Hannah's there praying and Eli thinks she's drunk, you know, put away your wine, and that, 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 that as she's praying to God, she says, please give, give me a son, and if, 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 if you do, God, here's how I'm going to thank you, I won't cut his hair. Seems a little odd at, at first glance, and, and what, what Hannah's actually referring to in that moment is she, she's referring to something called the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow was something that Jewish people could do, and, and you could take the vow yourself, or sometimes your parents would take it on your behalf, as is the case right here. In the Nazarite vow, a very few Jewish people would take the Nazarite vow for a short time, and, and a very, very, very small number would take the Nazarite vow for their entire lives. And if you took the Nazarite vow for your entire life, it actually meant three things. Number one, you would never drink wine, fermented or non-fermented. No, no, number two, you would never cut your hair. And number three, you wouldn't hang around with corpses, which I think as a rule of thumb is a good idea for all of us, okay? So that would be the easiest one for me to kind of follow up with. You know, you can't hang around with dead bodies. You can't be around dead bodies. And at first glance, it seems kind of arbitrary, like three weird things. Like, what, what, what does that even mean? It, it reminds me of a time that I was in university, and one of the guys in my dorm was just railing against our culture. He said, Man, we just live in such a superficial culture. You know, everyone just judges everybody by the external. And he said, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to do an experiment. And so this is what he did. He said, I'm not going to shower or, oh, it gets better, (laughs) or or, or brush my teeth or wear deodorant or change my clothes. Just think about that one for a moment. Or change my clothes for two weeks. Okay, so near the end of the two weeks, I'm walking down the sidewalk at Trinity Western University. This guy walks up to me. I kind of kept my distance. I'm like, hey, my, his name was Mike also. I'm like, hey, Mike. He said, see, like we live in such a superficial world. Not even you're going to get that close to me. You know, it's all about that. I said, you know what it's all about? You stink, man. That's what it's all about. And so at first glance, we look, why these three things? Like, but, 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 but the truth is, every one of them is significant. So, so number one, you have to understand, when a person took a Nazarite vow for life, what they were saying is, I will never drink wine, fermented or not fermented. Think about the geography of Israel. Like, water isn't just available like it is here, especially at that time. So, so wine was so significant because it, 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 in some ways, it represented hope, abundance, affluence. When you took the Nazarite vow, what you were saying is, I don't need wine. My hope is found in God. My abundance is found in God. And so the haircut thing, um, I think that's funny, you know? Like there, 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 there's another guy in the Bible who took, who's kind of famous for taking the Nazarite vow. He never cut his hair and his strength was related to his, his long hair. And that was a guy named Samson. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but I always laugh because they said his, his hair grew down. And if I didn't cut my hair, my hair would not grow down. My hair would just grow out. It would look like I had a space helmet on everywhere I went. It would be funny again, not to you, but to me it would be, okay? So, but, but, but when you took the Nazarite vow, what it represented was, man, I, I need to look a certain way. I need acceptance. I need to fit in. I need to be validated. When you took the Nazarite vow, I said, I'm not cutting my hair. 
my acceptance and my validation comes from? God. Okay, so what about the dead body thing? Well, the dead body thing was basically just this reminder of earthly existence. Almost a sense of finality. You understand what I mean? Like almost a sense of like, this is it. And so when you took the Nazarite vow, what you were saying is, my God is forever. He has a forever plan for me. He's, he, he's preparing a place for me in eternity. And so my, my hope does not end in this life. My hope goes beyond. So, so the Nazarite vow was really a way of saying um, my abundance and my affluence and my, and, 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 and my acceptance and my validation and even my hope, my hope, my hope is in God. And I think for you and me to tell the story that God uh, created us to tell in our lives, we need to take the Nazarite vow. Put away your wine, you know? That, that's, uh, no, no, I, 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 I mean not a superficial one like in our heart. Because here's my question for you. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Let me explain it to you this way. Years ago, there was this movie that came out called Zelig. Uh, Woody Allen made the movie, I think. And the main character is a guy named Leonard Zelig. And Le- Leonard was Jewish, so he, he grew up in a Jewish home, and, and he faced a ton of bullying when he was a kid. Like, anti-Semitic people bullied him. But it was worse than that. When he went home, his, his parents and, and, and his siblings bullied him too. Until one day, Zelig, Leonard Zelig, got to this point where he said, I don't want to stand out, I don't want to be picked on, I don't want to face this anymore. So his number one goal in life became, I just want to fit in, I just want to be accepted, I don't want to stand out anymore. And he became good at it. And what I mean by he became good at it, I mean he was incredible at it. Like he became a human chameleon. So you watch this movie and you see it first, um, he goes to the Vatican. And he's hanging around with the, you know, the, the, the people there, and he becomes so good as a Jewish guy of fitting in at the Vatican, he becomes part of the Pope's inner circle. Um, he hangs around with Babe Ruth and the New York Yankees, and becomes so good at fitting in with the New York Yankees that he begins to walk the walk and talk the talk and even play the game a little bit of a baseball star. One day he's around three eminent psychologists who are talking this high level, doctorate level stuff on psychology and he finds himself, he wills himself, he's able to begin to talk their talk and fit in with them. And, 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 and then it gets a little weird. So he's around uh, some Jewish rabbis and he wills himself to grow a beard and side curls. Or he's around a group of overweight men and, and, he, and he wills himself to become just like them, an overweight man. He fits right in. He's hanging around with a group of people from Asia and he himself wills himself to become Asian. He's hanging around with some First Nations individuals and he wills himself to become First Nations. He's in Chicago hanging around with a bunch of black jazz musicians and guess what? He becomes a black jazz musician. So Leonard Zelig becomes probably the most famous person on the planet. Isn't that ironic? Because he's not a person at all, is he? He's a caricature. He's a pretend. He's a poser. In the truest sense of the word. He's playing roles. He has lost himself. And you say, well, what does that have to do with me, Mike? Well, let me ask you this. Who are you? 
Oh, okay, let me, let me change that. Who do you present to the world? Real you or pretend you? Real you or pretend you? Or are, 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 are you you or are you playing a role? The church fathers refer to it this way. Are you your true self or are, have you put on a false self? True self or false self? Real you or pretend you? What's it going to be? See, see, this is super important because, because let me put it this way. Um, the, the real world, this real world we live in, full of joy and hope, but also brokenness and pain, this real world we live in really, really needs real you. We say around here once in a while, we talk about um, uh, who you are matters more than what you do. Does that make sense? That, that who you are matters more than what you do? That kind of makes sense, right? Okay. Um, who you are, who you are, who you are matters more than what you do. Who you are. Okay, but um, does, that, does that make sense? Because I would suggest to you as a world, we decided long ago, maybe subconsciously, as a people, as a culture, we decided a long time ago that what we do matters way more than who we are. And, and I guess that's the issue, isn't it? Because I really do believe that who you are matters way more than what you do. So, so let me remind you for a second who you are. You, you are a child of God created by your heavenly Father with love, in his image. Your heavenly Father created you on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. He's given you a great story to tell. But because you were born into this broken world, sometimes we lose that God imageness. Does that make sense? We, we, we lose that story. We lose ourselves. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus stepped into human history. He lived and he died and he rose again so that redemption could happen. You know what redemption means? So that you could recapture what you had lost so that you would become again who you were born to be. Restoration, redemption. The story of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection says, who are you? Oh, um, you are a child of God adopted through the sacrifice of Jesus, renewed to be exactly who you were created to be worth dying for. Oh, that's who you are. And after Jesus died and rose again, he ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit was sent to empower you. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive and well and living in you. That's who you are. You are a child of God, created in his image, forgiven. You're being healed. You're renewed. You're redeemed. You're restored. You're equipped. You're anointed. And here's the thing. Listen. The real world really, really needs real you. See, God put inside of you, real you, God put inside a real you, a redemption song to sing and pretend you can't sing it. 
Because God created real you, God loves real you, God redeemed real you, God, God, God delights in real you, and then you created pretend you. God has given real you a redemption sermon to preach. Pretend you can't preach it. God has given real you a, a, a redemption race to run. Pretend you doesn't know the way. God has given real you a redemption life to live and pretend you can't live it. And the real world really, really, really needs real you. There's a quote that maybe you've heard before, but I, I want you maybe to hear it with new ears today from Marianne Williamson based on what we're talking about. Listen to this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant? Who am I to be gorgeous? Who am I to be talented? Who am I to be fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Who are you not to be brilliant? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that's within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give, our, give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Who are you? Or more specifically, who, who are you showing the world? Real you? Or pretend you? See, God created real you. You created pretend you. In the real world, man, they, we really, we, we really, really, really need real you. And so we say that, you know, who you are, who you are. Who you are is more important than what you do, and we get it, but man, we, 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 we live in a world where it feels to me like so often we just judge ourselves by what we do. Because we're trying to seek validation, we're trying, to, we're trying to pretend, we're trying to pose, we're trying to fit in, and, and, and we want to do the right things. You say, well, how do I know if I struggle with this, Mike? Well, I'll give you a couple ideas. Um, number one, when you, start to, when, you, when, when, you, when you start to pretend, when you start to pose, when you start to be pretend me instead of real me, you know one of the things you'll do right away is you'll break the world into, up into two kinds of people. People whose validation matters to me and people whose, whose validation does not matter to me. And you will live your life fixated on the people whose validation matters to you. You will cater to, you will try to please, you will try to win the approval of the people whose validation matters to you and you will discard, listen, this is important to note, you will discard the people whose validation doesn't matter to you. You might well serve and even help the people whose validation doesn't matter to you, but why will you do it? You will do it to earn the validation of the people who do matter to you. There's a, a passage in, in the New Testament of the Bible in Romans chapter 12, verses one and, one and two says, uh, do not 
conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the renewing of your mind. I would say that the pattern of this world says what you do is way more important than who you are. I get a kick sometimes out of the health and wellness industry. The health and wellness industry. Health and wellness. Health and wellness. I want to be careful because we've got so many people in our church that do a great job working within the health and wellness industry. But, but, but it's interesting to me. And, and then Christians describe it this way. When they talk about looking after their body, they say, man, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I need to look after it. And that's all. It's awesome. Okay? So health and wellness. Health and wellness. You know, gyms used to be called health clubs. Health. What's healthy? What's, what's healthy? A, assuming that who I am is more important than what I do, assuming that the, 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 the real world really, really, really needs real me, what's healthy? That real me would find a voice. That I would look after my body, yes, but I, I would look after my soul and my mind and, I, and real me would just find a real voice and who I am would be more important than what I do. And, and, and come on now, the health and wellness industry? For a vast majority of it, for, for a vast majority of that industry, health, 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 do, 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 they, um, do they thrive when we're healthy? They don't want you healthy. They want you dysfunctional. Listen, this is what they want for, for a lot of health and wellness, for health clubs. What do they want? They want you determined. They want you convinced. They want you fixated on the fact that what you do is way more important than who you are. How much you lift determines who you are. What you look like in a bathing suit determines who you are. And next thing you know, we're kind of conformed into the pattern of this world and we're just like, pretend me just shows up. Shows up everywhere I go, you know, and it's not just, it's not just gyms and it's not just working out, it's not that, it's sexuality, it's uh, money, <laughs> it's prestige and power. Well, how do I know if I struggle with this, Mike? Well, for some of you, you know, because as I've been preaching to you today, four times you've checked your phone to see how many people like that post that you made earlier today. That might show that you are a little bit more worried about what you do than who you are. And we talk about sexuality, we talk about money, and we talk about uh, 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 status and, 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 and all that stuff and popularity, and as a pastor, I can't even count the amount of times that I've stood up here and said, man, there's nothing wrong with any of those things because there actually isn't at all, but you just can't be all about them. <laughs> okay. A long time ago, our world decided, oh, we're all about them. They drive us, and welcome to the world, pretend you, and here's the real world, and we really, really, really need real you. Habits in church too, right? Man, I, <clears throat> like we sing songs in church and I love it, you know? And, and sometimes if you're new to church, you notice that sometimes people will raise their hands. Ever notice that? And, and, and I do sometimes. And, and so sometimes I'll raise one hand. And I want to tell you what I'm thinking. If I raise one hand during worship, this is what I'm thinking. As we sing our songs and I raise one hand, I'm thinking to this passage of the, in the Old Testament in, in the book of Psalms chapter 40. And, 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 and Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the miry pit and he put my feet on solid ground. That's what I'm thinking when I raise one hand. And sometimes I raise two hands, you know, and, and for me two hands is just a posture of surrender. 
You know, Jesus, I give you my life. I trust you. It's like, it's like, it's like a modern day internal Nazarite vow. Man, man, man I, I, I need you. Psalm 37 verse four says this. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. My hope is in you, God. And, and sometimes I'll even do this. I'll raise one finger. And, and what that basically says is I live my life for an audience of one. I have nothing to prove and only one to please. And sometimes when I raise my hand to church, you know why I do that? So that you'll think that I'm a good Christian. I live my life for an audience of one and I hope you think that I'm doing a good job. Welcome to church, pretend me. Here's the challenge. God created real you and you created pretend you. And the real world really needs real you. God loves real you. God delights in real you. God's calling out real you. God gave real you a redemption song to sing. Not literally, don't just start walking around singing, but like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a metaphor, it's, a, it's an image, you know? Uh, pretend you can't sing it. Pretend you won't know the words. God, God gave real you a redemption sermon to preach. Pretend you can't preach it. God gave real you a, a redemption race to run. Pretend you doesn't even know the way. God gave real you a redemption life to live. Pretend you can't live it. How, how do we get here? It made me think of this old quote by St. Augustine. There can only be two basic loves. The love of God unto the forgetfulness of self or the love of self unto the forgetfulness and the denial of God. Man, that really hit me. Here's the weird thing about pretend you. This this is actually bizarre. Think about this. Do you know that pretend you, listen, Pretend you can spend your entire life, pretend you can spend its entire life caring so much about what people think without ever caring for people. Isn't that amazing? Pretend you can spend its whole life caring so deeply, so much about what people think without ever caring for those people. Why in the world would that be? Oh, who? I don't, I don't have time to care for your dreams and for your pain and for what you're going through. Why? Because you're a means to an end. Validate me. It's amazing, isn't it? Pretend you can spend its whole life caring so deeply about what people think without ever once caring about them. How? There's this doctor, James Masterson, said this. It's the nature of the false self to save us from knowing the truth about our real selves. From penetrating the deeper causes of our unhappiness. From seeing ourselves as we really are. Vulnerable, afraid, terrified, and unable to let our real self emerge. So how did we get here? How did I get here? What's the struggle? 
Well, I, I think I can answer that spiritually and practically. So first, let me give you my spiritual answer. Here we are, man. Here we are, you and me. And we live in this world in the intersection of the spiritual and the physical, the visible and the invisible. And, and around us, there is a great spiritual battle raging. You, you have an enemy called the devil. And in John chapter 10, Jesus summarized the devil's mission like this. He said, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. Now, I want you to think about that. Redemption isn't on that list. Renewal isn't on that list. Restoration isn't on that list. You, you see what I'm saying? So, so, but, but God has given you, real you, a redemption song to sing. And, and your enemy desperately does not want you to sing it, so how can he do it? He, 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 can, he can have you hide, lose real you, and, 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 and then all we, all, we, uh, all we ever see, all the world ever gets is pretend you, and pretend you can't sing that song. So let me get practical. How did it happen? Well, I would imagine that it happened for you the same way that it happened for me. Somewhere along the line when you were a little kid, maybe a little bit older, uh, someone or a group of someones uh, gave you the impression that real you did not measure up at all. S someone along the way, and, and for some of you, this makes you emotional just thinking about it. S somewhere along the way, someone or a group of someones gave you the impression that real you was flawed, that real you was embarrassing, that, 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 that you should be ashamed of real you, and that's called trauma. So, so, so honestly, can I get real with you? That, that's traumatic. Because real you is real you. I mean, that's really you. And somewhere along the line, somebody, maybe without meaning to, maybe a parent, May, 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 maybe a teacher, maybe a classmate gave you the impression that real you wasn't good enough and something inside of you said this, that's never going to happen to me again. Welcome to the world, pretend you. And pretend you became really good at finding acceptance and finding approval from all different kinds of groups. And it's kind of a win-win, right? Because you get really good at finding approval, and if they like you, they like you, and you feel validated, but if they don't like you, well, at least they're rejecting who? Pretend you, not real you. You get it? So you're safe. I think for little kids, there's a, uh, when you look at some of them, they're still of that age where they, they, they're not ashamed of real them. You know what I mean? Some little kids. Sometimes it's hard to deal with because they don't care what you think when they have a meltdown in the, in, in the grocery store. They don't care. I, I think we need to get back to that. <laughs> I do. Like, I'm not saying, like, if your wife won't let you have Cinnamon Toast Crunch, you throw a hissy fit in the uh, cereal aisle. But if that's what it takes, man. Like, I, I walked by the Southside Kids area the other day in the office, and, and I looked at all these wristbands they had, and I stole one. Because and, and, it says World Changer. And they're giving them to all the kids um, for fall kickoff. And, and, and I like that. And, and I stole one. Because <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want 
I want my kids, I want your kids, I want my grandkids to grow up. And, 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 and when, when the world is trying to conform them into this image of poser, into how I, want they to, I want them to look, I want them to remember that's not who I am. World changer. Be, because the real world really needs real you. It's like a modern day Nazarite vow. We should do it. I think we should do it. I think there's three ways we can step into real you, real me. Number one, I think we just need to get real with God. I think we need to get real with God. You know what that's gonna require, by the way, and for some of us this is gonna be harder than for others? It's gonna require a little bit of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. You know, at least three hours a day. No, I'm kidding, five minutes. I know some people, what they do is that they'll the, the have a little room where they can be all by themselves and they set up two chairs, one for them and one for Jesus. And they just talk to them. Tell them their hopes and their dreams and their regrets and their shame and their confessions. Just get real. Man, God really loves real you. God delights in real you. Um, for me, I... There's a tool that I want to start using again starting tomorrow, and I thought I would make it available to you. So if you text the keyword silent to 604-670-3040, what we have there is we have this ancient uh, practice called examine. Not like a test, but examine. And it's just a way to, to guide a conversation between you and God. Real you, getting really real with real God. Because he's given you a redemption race to run and pretend you can't run it and we need you to run it. Second thing we can do is get real with another person. Start with another person. If you're married, maybe it's your spouse. If, if you're not, maybe it's a good friend. And, and the same thing, silence and solitude. Okay, what do I mean by that? Obviously you have to talk to each other, but silence the cell phone, silence the TV, silence the noise, and just talk to the person. Get real. Tell them your hopes and your dreams and your regrets and your confessions. I heard someone describe it this way the other day. They said, find somebody in your life who uh, you can tell them like, the dumb things that you're capable of. And I know. <laughs> For some of us, more than others. <laughs> For me, it would be a long list, okay? But, 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 and they can hear it. Do you, do you understand? They can hear it, but they can keep reminding who you were created to be. This is what I'm capable of. This is who you were created to be. Somebody who can cheer you on. And, and what you do out of, out of that is then you just become real with everybody. And then some people, they, they don't want real you, and frankly, that's their problem, not yours. And the third thing is care. Isn't it amazing, you know, that pretend you can spend its whole life caring so much about what people think but never really caring for people? So what, what are we going to do? We're just going to care. I'll give you a few ways you can do that. Number one, <laughs> honestly invite someone to church. There are people who are close to you and far from God. There are people who are close to me and far from God. And you know what they need more than anything else? They might not even know this. They need hope. They need hope. They really need hope. Because no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, man, God created real you. God loves real you. God delights in real you. And he's given real you a redemption song to sing and you need to sing it. You get to sing it. So care. 
So care. Invite someone to church. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Well, they might, oh, no, that's not real you, is it? But what if they, oh, but ah, care. Second thing is, um, Dave already talked about it earlier. I don't want to go on and on about it, but, but give, like, even financially. Because, <laughs> like, the pattern in this world says me and mine and me and mine and me and mine, but what if you cared? What if you cared enough to hear a story like the ones that are shared at Southside every single week and go, I, I want to help? Because the real world desperately needs real you. So much so, I would say this, man, if, if you come to Southside and you love it, and what uh, you say, man, I, I, I don't want to give any money to Southside Church because there's something about Mike, he steals bracelets and stuff like that, I mean, right? Then, then I would say the real world needs real you so bad, you, you can come here and just give your money to another church. Because I, be, I believe you'll be blessed and I believe that we all need to care enough to see the world change one life, one story at a time. And, and the third thing is, um, serve. Care enough to serve. I'll, I'll, I'll end with this thought when it comes to serving. There's a bunch of white tents sent, set up in the parking lot and every single ministry at Southside is represented. If you're not serving, it would be great. You know, I, th- I think there's something inside of pretend me that separates the world into two kinds of people. People who, who matter and people who don't. You know the great thing about serving is that I'm reminded again that there's really only one kind of person and I serve that one kind of person and that is someone who really, really, really matters to God and to me too. The real world really needs real you. God gave real you a redemption story to tell. Pretend you can't tell it. So I've asked the band to close this with a song. It's kind of like a modern-day Nazarite vow. It's called, I am who you say I am. Why don't you stand, and we'll sing. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.